Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we'll read verses 19 through verse 34, and then we'll focus in on, on some things. So remember, Jesus is preaching Sermon on the Mount. He says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is, dark, is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right. So again, Jesus is, is preaching Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to a huge crowd of people. And if you recall, when he begins his sermon, this is, I'm going to ask you to go way back, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks ago. When he begins the sermon, he begins with the, the Beatitudes, those blessed things. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now those are, remember we talked about that, we, we broke each one of them down. And that's the, like the business card for the Christian. If you were to put all the attributes of Christians on them, you know, your life, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, your life is going to be marked by those blessed things. Amen. So Jesus' whole sermon up to this point has been about living righteously. So far, that's what he's been talking about. What does it look like to live righteously? He even spent some time, if you remember back in chapter 5, comparing the current backward thinking about righteousness with what is actually correct about righteousness. He had to correct some backward sinful thinking. Remember all the times back in chapter 5 when he said, you know, you've heard it said, but I say. 
You've heard it this way, but I'm telling you this way. He said things like, you know, you, you've heard it say don't commit adultery, but I say if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. You've heard it said don't, don't lie, don't bear false witness, um, don't, um, don't uh, swear. He said, but I say to you, don't swear at all. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. You've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say turn the other cheek. Right? You've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemy and pray for them. So he's correcting their very backward, very mistaken views of what it means to live righteously. He's correcting that mistaken, uh, it's really a self-centered righteousness, isn't it? It's a self-centered righteousness. How could you not be self-centered by saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Well, that's pretty self-centered. An eye for an eye, you've done to me, now I'm going to do to you. That's pretty self-centered, isn't it? So he's railing against a self-centered righteousness. And then in chapter 6, in the very first part of chapter 6, think back to that, he starts talking about practicing righteousness and doing righteous deeds. And he says, don't do righteousness. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Don't practice righteousness so that you'll get the attention. Don't do good deeds in order to get praise for yourself because all praise belongs to God. And that goes, then he goes straight to our hearts in the matter. He goes straight to the core of what is driving us. Don't do your good deeds in order to get praise for yourself. All praise belongs to God. He goes straight to the core. It's self-exaltation when you get praise for yourself rather than Christ-exaltation. And I believe, we talked about that last week, that's some difficult medicine for most people to swallow because praise and acknowledgement and affirmation and, and encouragement like that, when we say, oh, well done, you did so good, we love to hear it. Those are all things that we desire instinctively. We, we want our daddy to say that. Well done. Isn't that what we want to hear from Christ? Well done, my good and faithful servant. So instinctively, we have a desire to be affirmed and a desire to, be, to receive that kind of praise, to receive the attaboy, the well done. <clears throat> and it, it can be difficult to try to keep your motivations in check and to say, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this uh, and get any kind of attention from it. I don't, I don't want any notice from it. I want all, all glory and all notice and all attention to go to God. Well, I, I, it's not difficult to say that. It's difficult to, to actually do it. Amen. You know, doing it sincerely. To really act in a way that is, that is not wanting attention, but is wanting to give glory to God. Because, you, you know, you know as well as I do that not everyone who comes in the name of the Lord, or who says I come in the name of the Lord, actually comes in the name of the Lord. Um, some of them, some of those people, have, they've just found out that in, in the realm, this sphere that we walk in of, of evangelical Christianity, that they're, they're really easily able to build platforms for themselves. And the sad thing is that people flock to them when they build platforms for themselves. We, we're, you know, <laughs> Jesus calls us sheep for a whole lot of reasons. 
they flock to them. You know, and the, these people who build these platforms for themselves, they, they may have started off with the best of intentions, but then what happens to them? They start getting attention, and they get drunk on their attention, right? Just like Noah getting drunk on his own wine, they get drunk on their own attention. The tragic part is all these people that follow them, and, you know, these guys put themselves up on a pedestal, and because God is who he says he is, and because he does what he says he does, and because he has said, there is no other God before me, there is none like me, I am God alone, let me tell you right now, God will be sure to topple everyone who puts himself up on a pedestal before him. And all the people that are following those guys, when they see them fall, and they inevitably will fall because God will topple them. What happens to them? Their, their faith is, is destroyed, and their hope is crushed. Why? Because they were hoping in some guy, in some man, Amen. and not in Christ. They had their eyes set on how good this guy made them feel about themselves. That's why when you hear someone preach, and you walk away thinking, man, I feel great about me, he didn't preach to you. You didn't hear a message worth hearing. What you had was a, an ego stroking, tickling of your ears. Um, I've always said, I, I mean it half joking, but it's the truth. I don't feel like I've been to church unless I feel like I've been punched in the gut. Amen. Amen. If you give me a good gut punch, man, I can move. I feel like I've been to church then. Problem is, they're delighted by how these people make them feel about themselves rather than being delighted in who God is. Right? So when they fall, their faith is crushed. But it doesn't have to be as big as all that, though. You know? It doesn't have to be like this huge, you know, in the news kind of headlines, oh, evangelical leader falls. It doesn't have to be like that. Um, and it usually always isn't where we see failings in this area. It's the little bitty things like, like buying groceries for someone or putting gas in someone's car to help them out. Little things like when you're asked to lead prayer in front of the congregation or lead worship. Because there's a built-in desire to want everybody's approval. There's a, a tendency to want to perform so that others will say, well done. And we have to fight that. We have to pray as if we are praying to God. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. You're praying to the God of the universe. You're standing before Him and Him alone. I'm not praying to you guys. I'm not performing for you all. So we have to fight that, that, that desire to, to perform and to sound eloquent. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, don't heap up eloquent words. Amen. Empty phrases. When we praise, when we sing, we have to sing and praise as if we're doing so before a holy God who is the commander and ruler and, and maker of all the universe. And Jesus, he uses the language of reward in order to guide us in our motivation. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the passage or verse that is immediately preceding what we just read this morning. That's the reward that we want, the one that comes from God. Amen? And so, the very next thing that Jesus says after saying, your father who sees in secret will reward you, in verse 19, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. Amen. Now, that is the first imperative in a series of, 
of three imperatives in the, in the passage that we've read. Imperative is a command. That's the first command in, a, in a, a group of three commands out of the passages that we've just read, those 15 verses. So the first one I read to you, uh, lay up treasures in heaven. Now, there's a negative component to that. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth, but do lay up treasures in heaven. So I'm combining those into one because it's, it's pretty clear that those are two sides of the same coin. They're two aspects of the same command. And the second one in the passage that we read this morning is don't be anxious. Verse 25, don't be anxious about your life. Verse 31, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And then finally in verse 34, he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. So I'm combining all of those into one imperative, into one command. Do not be anxious. Again, because those are just different aspects of the same, same command. Don't be anxious. And then finally, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in verse 33. All right. So I believe that if you examine the text and you look carefully at what Jesus is teaching, how he teaches it, how he says it, it becomes clear that all of chapter 6, from way back in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them, because then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. All the way down to verse 34, uh, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. All of that is pointing to verse 33. Jesus' command to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When you, when you give to others... Back in verse 1, or back in the first part of chapter 6, when you give, don't give and sound a trumpet to get noticed by everyone. Don't draw attention to yourself. When you pray, don't heap up empty words and phrases in front of others to be seen by them. When you fast, don't chuck in your cheeks and make yourself look pitiful in order to get noticed by them. None of those things seek the kingdom of God first. What they do seek is the kingdom of self. The kingdom of self. And that is exactly how you put yourself on the throne of your life. And that comes with a whole lot of troubles when you do that. And then he says, don't lay up treasures on earth. Again, when you lay up treasures on earth, that's, that's the kingdom of self. Don't be anxious about life, about food or drink or clothing that you wear, or even about tomorrow. The anxious heart is the heart that trusts in itself and not in the sure and solid promises of God. Anxiety over these things, Jesus, Jesus said, God will take care of you. The Gentiles seek these things. Won't he not take care of you in these areas? Don't be anxious about these. The anxiety over these things are the fruit of a self-ruled, self-exalted, self-enthroned life. Amen. When I'm on the throne, then I've got to worry about all this stuff. Right? So then the overarching command, the, the, uh, uh, the umbrella under which all this other stuff rests is seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And then Jesus says, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus wants us to be people, hear me, Jesus wants us to be people who are passionate about the kingdom of God. Amen. People who are passionate about his kingdom and his righteousness Passionate about living righteously before God? The thing is that many people, though they call themselves Christian, though they have seen the light of Christ, they have allowed that passion to grow cold. 
And if they were to examine their lives, they would see the devastating effects it has on them when you're not passionate for Christ, when you're not passionate for the kingdom of God. We make decisions and we, make, we pursue things that enthrone self. So looking at the three commands, it seems that that overarching umbrella, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Lay up treasures. When Jesus says lay up treasures in heaven, don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven, that is one practical example that He gives, a big one about uh, what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God first. Then He says don't be anxious. That's a condition of the heart that seeks the kingdom of God first. So that's kind of a broad overview of those 15 verses that that we just read. I do want to spend a little time this morning looking specifically at laying up treasures. This is not a, a message about giving. We could certainly preach a message about giving from this. This is a message about treasure. Verse 19 says, do not lay up treasure for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, I I want you to, to picture that. Treasure that is being destroyed by rust and moths, treasure that is vulnerable to thieves breaking in and stealing it, If you've got a a vintage car that's in pristine condition, you have a valuable treasure, right? There are people that will pay a lot of money for one of those things. And you put it in a garage, and um, you just kind of forget about it, and it gets neglected, and it gets eaten up by rust, and the value is destroyed. It's destroyed. In fact, that is what Jesus teaches us ultimately about all the things that we accumulate. Because one day, they will all end up being worthless. Even the basic needs of life, the food on our table, uh, even though you may be eating modest, humble food, it ends up in the sewer. The clothes on your back, even though you're maybe wearing modest, humble clothing, you know, nothing flashy, nothing too expensive or, or out there, lavish, you know, it ends up on the trash heap one day. The car you drive, though it may be a modest and humble car, it ends up in the trash heap one day. The house that you live in may be a modest and humble home, but it will one day end up in a pile of rubble. Second Amen. Amen. Peter 3.10, Peter says, But the day of the Lord comes, or will come, like a thief. What did Jesus say about laying up treasure back in... Verse 19 and 20. What is vulnerable about the treasure that you lay up on earth? Moth and rust destroy it and thieves come in and steal it. The day of the Lord comes like a thief. Every material possession you have in this life will be lost. Peter says, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Amen. Now other translations render that. They say the earth and the works will be burned with fire. So some say exposed, some say burned with fire. I take this to mean exposed by fire. 
It's the same concept that, that uh, Paul is using when he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says that every man's works will be revealed in fire. And what is, what is left remaining, what is pure, what is gold will stand. All the wood and all the other stuff will be burned away. It will be revealed by fire. The fire will ultimately reveal what it is. So will you stand before God on that great day and say, Lord, I thank you for all of the bountiful blessings that you've given me. I put everything to good work. Look at my boat. Look at my 401K. The three cars that I have. I give you all the glory. And what will Jesus do? Do you remember the parable of the, the man who built all the barns? He had so much stuff. He needed more barns to hold his stuff. Amen. And so he built more barns. And, and the Lord said, you fool. Amen. Amen. Your life is required of you today. So Jesus will say, you fool. All of that is just trash. Now, I'm not saying you can't have nice things, and Jesus is not saying you can't have nice things. Certainly, followers of Jesus had nice things. Amen. Jesus was financed, and the apostles were financed somehow. Amen. People gave to them. Amen. Amen. Mostly women that, were, that we know of, by the way. So don't discount their work in the spreading of the gospel. I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm not saying you can't have a boat, you can't have an RV, whatever. But, you know, I, I know two men who they both have boats, fishing boats, and they use those fishing boats for the gospel. Amen. There's just something about it whenever they're able to get, get a guy out on the water and they're, they're waiting quietly for the, you know, and the water's still, they're waiting quietly for the fish to bite. Something about it that, that the guys just tend to open up. Amen. And they use that as a, as a doorway to get into these guys' lives and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, to, to do real ministry out on the boat. Lots of lives have been changed forever because of the ministry enabled by that fishing boat. So I'm not saying you can't have nice things. What I am saying is that everything that you keep here on earth, you will ultimately lose. That boat, even though it's being used for a kingdom purpose, will ultimately be lost. Amen. It will end up on a trash heap and it will be burned with all the rest except... The things that you put to use for the kingdom of God and the glory of God, those things that you, that you give for him, that you use for him, you will be rewarded for in heaven with an eternal reward. Amen. Everything you keep here on earth, you'll ultimately use. You cannot take it with you. But everything you give in the name of Jesus Christ to help your neighbor, to help the stranger, the sojourner, the poor, the needy, and everything that you give and that you use to further the ministry of the gospel all to the glory of God and not to your self-glory, you will gain an eternal reward. That's what it means to lay up treasure in heaven where rust and moths can't destroy it and where thieves can't break in and steal it. Amen. So whatever you do, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness will be returned to you in eternal rewards from the Father who is in heaven. Church, I want that. You can have all this. I want that. Amen. Amen. That's for sure. Amen. That's forever. Yes, Amen. Why would I settle with mud pies when I can have a day at the beach? Amen. 
Remember what I told you last week. It is clear from what Jesus teaches that we are meant to be motivated by reward from the Father. He means for us to have treasure. That's why he says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. He means for us to have treasure. The point of the treasure is so that we have something worthwhile to lead our heart. We have a prize worth pursuing. Do you see what Jesus says about treasure in verse 21? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's telling us very practically, church, that your heart follows your treasure. It follows whatever it is that you prize. If you want your heart to be in the right spot, then prize the right things. Treasure the right things. If you prize something, even if it's just an idea, if you prize it, if you treasure it, it's just a dream, you're going to pursue it. You're going to protect it. Right? You've got a dream that you treasure. You, you're going to go to school to learn about that. You're going you're to invest into it. You're going you're to do whatever you've got to do to achieve that dream because you treasure it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You treasure your marriage, you're going to protect it. You're going to work to make it strong. You don't, you don't want something to taint that prize. I have a sports car that I love. I love my little Miata. And when I got it, man, I could tell you, I, I didn't park near anybody. I parked at the, you know, the back 40 of the parking lot because I don't want anyone parking near me because of all the door dingers. They open their door and they don't care. They just hit. But I, every scratch and dent on that car, I guarantee you I noticed it because I treasured it. You know, we, we, if we treasure our marriage, we work to protect our marriage, we work to keep the moth and the rust away. We certainly watch for thieves. You know, the one who doesn't watch for thieves in his marriage will one day find that a thief has broken into his marriage and stolen what should have been precious to him. And if it were truly precious, he would have noticed a little rust. He would have noticed the moth. But it wasn't precious to him. It wasn't a treasure to him. Because if it was, he would have noticed it. He would have watched it. He would have tended to it and taken care of it. He would have kept his eyes on it. That's what I mean by watching. He would have kept his eyes on it. See, treasure by definition, it's in the word, is treasured. It's prized. It's something that you want to gaze on. And that's why I think Jesus says what he does in the very next verse, in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I'll admit to you, verse 22 and 23 are difficult. I'm not going to lie. I mean, what does he mean? Amen. You, you, you can read 12 different faithful scholarly commentaries about those two verses, 22 and 23, uh, and you're going to get 12 different interpretations. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not wildly different, but, but they are different. And so just trying to be faithful to the text and faithful to what... Where, where I believe the text is leading us, where the Holy Spirit is leading us, this is where I land on the subject. And I trust I'm being faithful. 
Jesus is careful to point out that the eyes are lamps. The eye is the lamp of the body. It is a lamp to the whole body. A lamp, it lights up a room. It lights up a path. If you're in the dark and you have a flashlight, you, you shine that flashlight. And wherever you shine it, whatever that flashlight is pointed toward, that is what you see. So whatever you point that light, you see that. That is what you can pay attention to. Everything else is darkness. So you see where the light is, where the lamp points. If your eye is damaged, your vision is clouded. So the eye is the lamp of the body. So whatever you, you look at with your eyes, that's what you focus on with your whole body. Amen. Like a horse with blinders on. You know, when the horse, where the horse looks, that's where the horse goes. And if your eye is damaged, your vision is clouded. You're, you're guessing about, about where you're headed. You're not making decisions about what's truly in front of you because you can't truly see what's in front of you. That light is darkness. So you're, you're drawing your own conclusions at that point. You're, you're making your decisions in the dark. Amen. Amen. And so verse 24, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters, Right? That's how you cloudy your vision. Amen. That's how you obscure the truth. That's how you make the light dark. Trying to serve two masters. Do you remember one of the Beatitudes? Way back at the, at the very beginning of his sermon, one of the Beatitudes was, Blessed are the pure in heart. Something that is pure is single in its composition. A pure heart that means, a, you know, that's our, our pure intention, our pure motive is single in its pursuit. So trying to serve both God and money or God and any other thing for that matter is a double pursuit. I preached that to you when we talked about blessed are the pure in heart. You need to be singly in pursuit of God, which is exactly what Christ says when he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. It's a double pursuit to try to serve God and something else. It introduces impurities. It clouds our vision. It makes the eye unhealthy or bad. So that means that Jesus gives us, there is a means that he gives us in guarding and keeping our treasure where it ought to be and keeping our heart where it should be. He says, keep your spiritual eye healthy by staying focused on what matters. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Treasuring God above all else produces persevering faith and serious joy. Amen. Amen. I intend to unpack that a bit more next time. But the, the treasures of earth, and I'll, I'll wrap up here, the treasures of earth are very deceptive. They can catch your eye. The shiny, sparkly things, squirrel, you know, it's just they can catch your eye. In fact, that's one of the things that Jesus warned us about in the parable of the soil. Remember the parable of the soil. There was four different soils and the seed was the word of God that fell on the soils. One of the soils was the thorny ground. And what did he say about it? He said that the seed, the word of God, that's the, you know, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith alone, the word of God fell on the thorny soil and the, the thorny soil is the person who heard it, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked it out. So the seed bore no fruit. 
Why is that? Why did it bear no fruit? It's the word of God, isn't it? Isn't that seed powerful? See, treasure, again, by definition, is treasured. And whatever you treasure, that's where your heart follows. So what was treasured on that thorny soil? The cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. Riches and other cares, that's what was treasured. So they were anxious about tomorrow. They were anxious about what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, what am I going to drink. They were concerned with riches and, and, and storing up wealth in this world. You know where your treasure is by where you look, what you pursue. See, Paul said that his treasure is Christ, so that's where he put all of his efforts. You can see that all over his writings. But all of his effort in pursuing Christ, the pursuit of Christ, Paul's eye, the lamp of his body, was fixed on that pursuit So if you're hearing me today and you you may be feeling like you've lost your passion for the kingdom of God, how passionate am I about righteousness? How passionate am I about the kingdom of God? Spreading that kingdom, sowing into that kingdom, building that kingdom. I mean, at one point in your life, you you know, we've probably all been there. At one point in our life, we're, we're just enthralled with him. And we're just on fire. That's all I can do. But then over the years you get tired. Amen. Amen. And I'm talking to an older crowd today. You get tired. And that white hot fire begins to die down to an ember. Amen. But did you know an ember can still that can start a fire? As long as you're still burning. (laughs) You're not putting off as much heat, but you're still burning. I would submit to you that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, maybe either or both, have grasped your attention. You know, I've got to get the kids through college, and now the kids are grown, and i got to, I got the grandkids, and, and Lord, they're having problems with their marriage, and i got to fix that, and I've got to take care of, now they need this, and I'm, I mean, I'm just, and so-and-so needs that, and so-and-so, and i got to do, and i got to do, and i got to do, and, and we get so tied up in just doing Amen. that we've lost the pursuit of the kingdom. And that can be kingdom work, don't get me wrong, you can be doing provided that you're doing kingdom work. Sometimes we're just spinning our wheels. You know what I mean? We're just, we're just in a rut. Amen. And I would suggest that you've, you've let your treasure shift. Something has come in and grabbed your attention. So this morning I would ask you to examine the things that you're looking at. That's why there's a reason Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. Amen. You know, it, that's, that's whatever you're letting in, that's, gonna, that's, gonna, that's where your focus is. How can you expect to walk closely with God if you're consuming all kinds of trash? You know, trash and treasure don't belong in the same place. Amen. Amen. You can have great treasure and you start piling trash on it and eventually you don't know one from the other. 
you have the most beautiful home, but it's in the worst neighborhood, and it's not worth anything. No one will buy it because they don't want your neighbors. So the eye is the lamp of the body. What kind of light, then, are you letting in? Do we treasure Christ above all? That's what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Now, we'll, we'll move on with that into the, the next part of the, the text. Talk about anxiety and trust next time. And that's so important. Um, it's hard. I don't want to say it's hard to live like that. But we again, this comes with, with who's on the throne and who is being exalted. If Christ be exalted, do we not trust that he takes care of these things? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, once again for your word. I pray that you have uh, spoken to our hearts, Lord, and that we, uh, Lord, above all, I just, I just want you to appear glorious. I want you to be treasured um, in all of our lives. Help us to recognize when, when things come in to grab our attention and to seek uh, that, that, you know, things that, that we would seek that would not be uh, for your kingdom, that would not be uh, treasure in heaven, Lord. Help us to understand and to know this. And give us the strength, Lord, to turn our thoughts and our deeds and our hearts and our pursuits back to you. Father, we love you and we ask you to protect us as we go our separate ways and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.